So guys, you just seen, uh, saw a clip of Modern Family, which is one of the funniest shows on television. Um, and the reason that you watch that is because tonight we're concluding our series, Royals, talking about the royal family. The first week of the series, we talked about a royal wedding. And we talked about how Jesus picked his bride, and his bride was the church. We talked about how we're supposed to love the things that Christ loved. And so we looked at how we could love our church here at Burlington Baptist. Last week, we talked about the royal birth. And we talked about how when the baby was born in a manger, that it was proclaimed 4,000 years before that in the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden, where sin entered into the garden, and God saw that there was a problem. And so he was going to fix it by sending his son to the manger to be born on that lowly night. Grace entered the world that night. And because of that, you and I have the ability to live in eternity in heaven with the Father. And tonight I'm talking about something equally as exciting as those first two topics and pretty fitting as far as time. And we're talking about family. Now around Christmas time, um, those are the times that you get to see all of the extended family that you purposefully try to avoid throughout the year. Uh, I don't know about you, but how many of you guys have one, at least one psycho in your extended family? Raise your hand. If you're not raising your hand, it's probably you, so just, just say it. Uh, but tonight I want to talk about um, just very practical things that we can do as uh, families to stick together. And I'm going to be using examples from my family, not because I think that they're awesome, they are, um, but because we're so jacked up, but God still works through us because of his grace. So that's why I'm going to be talking about that tonight. I mean, I also want to look at um, the fact that this time of the year, you know, Christmas is meant to be a spirit-filled time. It's meant to be a time filled with joy and happiness. But for a lot of people, this time of the year is really difficult. Um, this time of the year is hard because maybe you've experienced loss recently in your life. Maybe you're estranged from your family. Um, maybe you've never had a family in the first place, and so you've always hated Christmas. Uh, well, tonight I want to offer some hope to you, uh, some peace to you, and I want to talk about a family that is awesome, and that's the family of God. But like always, before we get started, would you just pray with me? Dear God, thank you for tonight. Uh, just thank you for the ability to be able to, to come into your house and just hang out with people that I care about. Uh, God, I just feel so blessed to be a part of a church like Burlington Baptist and thrive in this service, God. I just pray that as we go through this message, that you'll just move us, that you'll teach us something that we can take away from here. Uh, Lord, I pray for any of the burdens and the hurts in the room right now. Um, Lord, would you just be with those people and comfort them? Um, love on them extra hard tonight. We know that you're with us. We love you. We thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when I was preparing for this message, I uh, asked my family, and I was thinking back on stories that I thought I could share with you guys tonight, favorite stories of our family. And so I picked a story my mom told and a story my dad told. And tonight I'm going to start with my dad's story. Now growing up, we didn't have a lot of money. And so we were always coming up with different ways to have fun as kids. And so one game that we always played was hide-and-go-seek. Now, I was pretty good at hide-and-go-seek, but my sister, on the other hand, uh, she was the champ. There was a time when we were playing hide-and-go-seek where my sister at age maybe four actually got behind a mirror in my parents' room and fell asleep. That game ended with tears, uh, with my dad thinking that her, his daughter had been abducted, <laughs> and uh, Jordan saying, I won. Another time we played hide-and-go-seek, uh, it ended with another messy situation. People in the Kennedy household take games very seriously. Um, everybody kind of knows that if we have family game night, you don't sit to the left of my dad. And the reason for that is, when we play catchphrase, he plays dirty. 
Uh, he will throw the disc at you. I've seen black eyes, and I've seen blood drawn playing spoons. So it gets real. So if you're ever invited over to my house for family game night, don't sit by my dad. Uh, but with that being said, I remember this one particular time. We were playing hide-and-go-seek, and I was so determined to, to win because I had been the first person found every single time. And so there was this one spot that I had been saving, this spot that I was kind of nervous about trying to hide in, to be honest. I was about 13 years old at the time, uh, probably weighed 140 pounds, maybe 5'6", five, 5'7", five, uh, not much smaller than I am right now. And the spot was in the storage room. We had this wash tub, and in front of the wash tub, we had stacked up old paint cans, and so you couldn't see underneath the wash tub. And so I knew in my head, this was the perfect spot. I just had to get behind the wash tub. Now, in my head, that seemed like a pretty simple task, but I quickly realized as I was climbing behind the wash tub that it was more difficult, um, but that wasn't going to stop me. So I started wiggling my elbows, fitting into this spot, and as I was nudging to make some more room, I quickly realized what my elbow was hitting was a pipe. And I hit it hard enough, the pipe literally exploded. It was like the parting of the Red Sea. Water was everywhere. I mean, it was just pouring out. And it flooded the whole basement. And uh, let's just say not only did I not win, uh, the basement and the storage area was off limits for hide-and-go-seek after that completely. (laughs) My dad was not happy. um, But he came back there, and he he helped me clean it up. And he wasn't angry. He actually laughed about it. Uh, Now we really do laugh about it. But my point to this is I think that we can take something away from that story. And uh, after I say this, I want to explain. But as a family, we play hide-and-go-seek, and and sometimes it gets messy. As a family, we play hide-and-go-seek, and sometimes it gets messy. Now I want to explain what that means. I've noticed in my own life that the people that I want to hide things from, the struggle and the hurt and the sin issues in my life, the people that I want to hide that from the most is the people that I love the most. And that's often the the people that I'm seeing on a day-to-day basis. Oftentimes that's my family, my mom, my dad, my siblings that I don't want to disappoint or let down. And so what happens in these families is that we put on masks in our own home. We try to prevent our siblings or our moms or our dads from seeing the real pain and the real hurt. And you see these families slowly start to fall apart because you see people just start to pull themselves away from family. Have you seen it in the home where the father is dealing with some real issues on the inside. And so he takes his pain and he uses it somewhere else, whether that's a bottle or a hotel room. You see it where the son is struggling with something, but nobody sees it. Nobody sees it. And so he takes it out by getting mixed up in drugs. You see it with the daughter who's struggling with an image issue, with depression and anxiety, but nobody sees it because she tries to push everyone away. And so she handles it with pills or with cutting herself or with throwing up in a toilet. And this stuff seems heavy and harsh, but it's true. It's happening in homes across America, and it's happening in Christian homes across America. And so what my point is tonight about families being hiders and seekers is this. People will always detach themselves because of pride. People will always detach themselves because of embarrassment and out of pain. But it's our job as a family member, as a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, to be a seeker to be a seeker, to be one of those people who looks up. We live in a culture in a a day and age where this is constantly what we're doing, constantly looking down. You can sit at a dinner table with people that you love and never have a real, genuine, honest conversation. I heard one time that eyes, eyes are the pathway to the soul. But if you're looking at a screen and not looking into anyone's eyes ever, how are you ever going to see the hurt? How are you ever going to see the pain? See, I believe that as brothers and sisters, I just want to charge you and mothers, fathers, and families 
in order to help these families stay together is to become seekers. Become people who are looking for the pain. Because God gave us family for a reason. Family is there to lift each other up, to offer encouraging words, to build people up and be fillers. Be fillers. So don't just be a seeker, but be a restorer. Be someone who offers hope and encouragement and peace in the heart of your family. The second story that I want to share with you is a story that my, da- my dad actually told me was his favorite story. Or no, rather my mom, I'm sorry. Um, and this story is hilarious. Um, my sister Blair, growing up as a child, uh, and still kind of today, she was always the wild child. It, we blamed it on the red hair, but I think it's just her. And uh, thankfully, uh, with age, she's sort of grown out of that crazy stage, but she was always getting into trouble doing something stupid. And um, I remember this one time, um, Mom and Blair were at home alone, and uh, Mom needed to take a shower really bad, and she was really hesitant because she was home alone with just Blair, and Blair at the time was maybe five or six years old. Um, and so Blair ended up falling asleep, and Mom was like, all right, I got a little window of time. I'm going to take a shower, but I'll be right out. So she went to get in the shower, and when she got out, Blair was nowhere to be found. You guys are going to think my parents are horrible people. We continue to lose children, <laughs> but I swear they're great parents. No, Blair was nowhere to be found, and so my mom starts freaking out. Now, you have to picture this in your head. Don't picture it too much because I don't want you to stumble, but she had just got out of the shower, so she was wrapped in a towel around her body and a towel wrapped around her head. So she's running around freaking out um, and without thinking runs out the door. And she's in the street screaming Blair's name, calling for her, looking both ways, looking everywhere for her. Can't find her. About that time she turns around, the glass door of our house slams shut and the lock flips and Blair's standing behind it. Blair had locked her out of the house. And so mom comes up to the door and she starts with the sweet card. Honey, let me in. Mommy needs to come in. And Blair just goes, "Uh uh-uh. So then she starts getting ticked off, and so she starts screaming. So now she really looks like an idiot because she's half naked, standing outside. The mailman's coming through, you know, and she's screaming at the top of her lungs, everything short of the four-letter words in God's name. And uh, Blair starts saying, no, I not let you in, Mommy. You're angry. You're angry. I'm not going to let you in. So Mom realizes the only way that she's going to let her in is to bribe her. Not a, a tool that we think, that I think is biblical or we should use, but it works. And so she says, all right, if you let mommy in, I'll give you a cookie. And she goes, no, mommy, two cookies. <laughs> so at this point, my mom is just losing it. And she's like, okay, fine. So she agrees to give her two cookies. Well, I can assure you as Blair opened the door, she did not get two cookies. <laughs> you see, my mom corrected her in that situation. But the thing that she did after that was offer forgiveness. I think she did end up with a cookie. But my point to the story in this case is the key, I think, to maintaining relationships in the home is to have a happy helping of forgiveness. Have a happy helping of forgiveness. Uh, So often, our words cut deep. Our words hurt really bad. And the people that we hurt the most are the people that we love the most. Uh, We're constantly in surroundings with our family. So that means that we're going to go through hard times and tension and struggle and things with these people that we don't, won't experience or go through with anybody else. I mean, so we're more inclined to fight with those people and to get in arguments with those people and say mean things to those people. There's just more opportunity there. Um, and so I want to encourage you that when you're dealing with family, always try to respond, not react. Because what happens is when we react in a moment, in one sentence, we can destroy a lifetime relationship. But what you do with the response is you think about what you're going to say. You know, Scripture is very clear. It says, be slow to speak, quick to listen. 
be slow to speak, quick to listen. Sometimes we get that backwards. Actually, often we get that backwards. Oftentimes we're very, very fast to speak and say what's on our mind and very slow to listen to the other person. So I encourage you to do that. Um, But I also encourage you to always give forgiveness. Always give grace where grace is due. Um, I heard one time that unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. So you see that's really messed up in the family dynamic because not only are you like wishing ill upon somebody in your family, but you're just hurting yourself. See, bitterness is an ugly thing. Vengeance is an ugly thing. But forgiveness is powerful. Grace is mighty. And that's what we just celebrated in the last message was grace entering into the world. God giving us grace for all the sins and all the mistakes that, that we have made. That we have made. But you see, I think forgiveness is kind of a two-sided coin sometimes. Um, and what I mean by that is, I think we need to go back to basics sometimes in our home and remember that the first call as a Christian is to love God and love people. Now, how do we love God? We love God by honoring His commandments, by honoring His commandments and seeking His face and His righteousness and everything. And sometimes I think we just need to stop giving people the opportunity for, for unforgiveness. We need to stop giving people the opportunity to sin. And what I mean by that is every single time that you're living your life in your home and you sin and you stumble and you do something that's unchristlike and you say words to somebody and you hurt that relationship, it's like you're opening doors for that person that you say you love to walk into to sin, to not give forgiveness. And so maybe tonight what you need to realize is I need to be a spiritual leader in my own home. I need to stop giving people I love opportunity to sin and to fall and to hold this bitterness and vengeance and anger on the inside. You see, when um, Christ is talking in Scripture about where people would witness to, it says that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Where did Jesus start? He started in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the heartbeat of Christian, uh, the Christian society. Jerusalem was the heartbeat of the church. Jerusalem was home. You see, spiritual leadership starts in the home. So there's two parts to that. The first is always offer grace and always offer forgiveness. But the second part of that is just stop living a lifestyle where people are constantly having the ability to not forgive you. Seek righteousness in everything that you do. Uh, This one was really, that second part was really hard for me. And I want to share something with you. He probably doesn't even remember he said this, but my brother said something when I first started this Thrive thing, preaching for Thrive. And it's stuck with me because it was exactly what I needed to hear. It was after the second time, maybe, that I had come up and spoke, and um, I asked him, I said, man, how did you like Thrive? And he said, it was okay, uh, but I didn't really get a lot out of it. And he said, it's not because you didn't say good things. He said, it's just different. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, it's just different because I live with you. I know you. And that was kind of like a punch in the gut. I was like, dang. But you see, what was happening was I was preaching to a congregation, but I wasn't being a spiritual leader in my own home. It starts in the home. That's how you maintain family. And that was a key moment where he was being accountable, being somebody to lift me up, because I needed to hear that. He was being a good brother in that case. Another story that I want to tell you is um, my fondest memory as a child growing up. Um, We had this tradition on Sundays, and after church, we would always go to Blockbuster or Hollywood movies. Now, how sad is this? I have to take a pause right now. How sad is it that in like 10 years, 
kids aren't going to know what blockbuster and Hollywood movies are. <laughs> Everything is streaming now. And so, like, for me, when I was a kid, that was the best day in the world when we got to go to Blockbuster Hollywood. It was like King's Island, because I knew I was going to get a video game, a movie, and some popcorn and candy. I mean, it was like heaven. It was like Christmas every weekend. Uh, and that's just sad that people don't get to experience that now. Uh, but we, what we would do is we would go to, the mo- uh, to Blockbuster, and we would rent a movie as a family, and then we would go home, and we would just play outside. We would do uh, kickball or capture the flag or uh, ultimate frisbee or something just stupid. And when you're a family my size, you can do those kind of things because you've got a basketball team with a sub. I mean, we can do three-on-three games and just continue to interchange uh, one person. But uh, we would just play outside all day, and then we'd get cleaned up, and Dad would take us to KFC, and uh, we would get these laptop meals. Do you guys remember the laptop meals at KFC? They're basically everything a kid could possibly want. They were the crap. I don't think I'm allowed to say that in church, so scratch that from the podcast, but they were awesome. They had, you know, your popcorn chicken, your green beans, and then your fruit roll-up with all the games and stuff on the back. So what we would do is we would take these laptop meals home, and we would throw a big quilt out in the living room, and we would literally lay on the floor and eat together and watch movies. Now, that might sound silly that that's like my fondest memory growing up as a kid, Um, and I can't tell you the movies we watched. I can't even tell you all the games we played or stuff that we did that day, Um, but I can tell you that it meant so much to me. And I think that there's a really good truth there, and it's something that some of you guys have probably heard before. People will forget what you said. People will forget what you do. People will never forget the way you make them feel. Now, that's a secular phrase, but I think that there is real biblical truth underneath of that. And the reason I think that is because the way you make people feel is dependent on how well you show them Jesus. God is love. God is love. And so if people feel loved, you did a good job showing them Jesus. And some of you guys might be going, well, that's not true because I have people in my life who aren't Christians. They've made me feel loved. Well, really, they're acting out the characteristics that Christ would have them do it. They just don't know it. That's what's happening in those circumstances. So my charge for you tonight is remember that. Be somebody that makes people feel wanted. Be somebody that makes people feel needed and loved, and appreciated, and cared for. Be somebody that is a builder-upper, not somebody that's constantly tearing others down with their words. Be somebody who's making a real impact on people. As Chris is up here, I just want to close with this. We talked at the beginning of the service how this is a hard time for some people because Sometimes family is messed up. It's a little dysfunctional. And the reality is, this church is a family. If, if you've accepted Jesus or if you want to accept Jesus, instantly you become a part of one of the biggest family in the world. Probably the, big, the biggest family in the world, actually. <laughs> With one of the best dads in the world. The best dad in the world. With brothers and sisters who are there to build you up. Speak truth into your life come to church, I feel like sometimes people get this misconception of church. I was reading the other day and it said, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. And that just blew my mind because I feel like this generation has this misconceived notion of what the church is. Because saying that you, you love Jesus but hate the church is like saying you love to swim but you hate the water. It just doesn't make sense. See, church isn't a place for you to come, but church is a place for you to be a part of something be a part of the family. Maybe in your life, 
The thing that's kept you from church is that dad who beat you down and told you you were worthless. That dad who told you you would never amount to anything. But you have a father who made you, who thinks you're worthy, gave you purpose. He wants to adopt you into the family tonight. Would you let him? Would you guys close your eyes and pray with me? Dear God, thank you for family. Thank you for giving us this church family. Yeah, it's a little dysfunctional at times. But, but God, it's good because you brought it together. And Lord, during this season that's meant to be filled with joy, I know that there's a lot of pain. Would you fill that pain with the love of this church, with brothers and sisters lifting, hurting people up? God, as we leave this place, would we be better at loving our families? Would we be better at experiencing those moments that you want us to experience, the moments that matter? Would we look up to see the pain behind people who we love's eyes? Would we pursue righteousness and be spiritual leaders in our homes to keep them together? Would we act on the cliche, a family that prays together stays together, and get on our knees as a family and intimately come to you? God, thank you for giving us the ability to do all those things. also respond in whatever way God might be asking you to respond tonight. Uh, you can respond by giving back in the offering buckets what God's already given you or dropping those connection cards that I mentioned earlier in those buckets. You can respond by taking communion. It represents the body broken and the blood poured out to cover all those sins and imperfections. You can come down and just pray at the altar tonight. Maybe tonight's been an eye-opener and you just realized, man, I kind of suck as a brother. Man, I kind of suck as right with God and just say, God, fill me and teach me how to be who you want me to be. Let me be that spiritual leader in my house. I don't know what it looks like, but I want to. Would you humble yourself tonight and do that? Maybe you have a relationship in your family that is strained or broken. Would you pray that that might be missing tonight and then act on it when you leave this place? Whatever it is, don't wait.
stuff that Blake talked about. It's really good in theory, right? But it's another story when it comes down to actually having to practice that, right? To offer grace. To love people that sometimes are tough to love. And just kind of the rest of what God wants us to do. Kind of the rest of the stuff that God set out as our path. Um, to kind of live lives that are good, you know, that are full, that are right. And the Bible talks about taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. And sometimes that's hard. And so this last song is kind of just a confession time. It's a, a time to admit 
that what God's asking us to do is a tall order, but it's the right order. And so that we need Him if we're going to do this thing. Lord, I come and I confess bowing here I find my rest and without you I fall I need you.
Amen. Amen. Awesome job, guys.